today we have a special treat. I want to introduce to you uh, a man who has been a family friend for Rebecca and I for a long time, sharing experiences in Portland, Oregon, our hometown, and also in Uganda. Stephen Wesley is... Uh, a man who has been a pastor, a church planter, um, a teacher of, of scripture, and many, many other things. He and his wife, Angela, started Beyond Borders Ministries. He's written a couple books you can find on Amazon, Cornerstone Truths for the Christian Life and Growth and Maturity. He really is someone that we admire, someone that we look up to. Um, and before coronavirus hit was someone that we were planning to bring to Baltimore to invest in you, to to uh, share our journey together. And so he's been praying for us for over a year now and, and, and communicating with us in different ways. And I want to introduce him to you now to bring the word for us today. So today, will you please welcome Stephen Wesley. Greetings, City Harbor Church. It is an absolute uh, joy and a privilege to be able to come to you today and to share the Word of God with you. Uh, let me give you a little bit of background. Uh, 38 years ago, I went to a place called Portland Bible College uh, and met a dean by the name of uh, Ken Malman and became in love with him and his family and in love with uh, the church there uh, at that time, Bible Temple, and was deeply deeply impacted and um, changed uh, by my experiences there. So I'm, I'm not sure of how old your pastor is, but if you go back uh, 38 years ago, he was a, a very young man uh, and his younger sister, Angie, who I know you know very well. Um, they endeared themselves to me. Uh, every time I met them, I met them with a smile on their face, uh, a hug, and uh, just an absolute joy uh, to get to know them and see them grow over those uh, four years. And then uh, Angie ended up marrying a young man by the name of Jason, who was a young man in our my former church. And uh, as you know, we're in Cambodia. So I feel deeply connected with you. Uh, when I got the notification or the ask if I would come um, via video and uh, minister to you, my first response was under one condition. And that condition is that I get to come physically and be with you uh, at some time in the future. So uh, this is a precursor to that event. <laughs> so it's a joy to be with you. It's a joy to share the word of God with you. And so let's open now with a word of prayer. Father, we come in the wonderful name of Jesus and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the greatness of your glory and the greatness of your love this great sacrifice that you made in coming and dying in our place and making us family. Lord, we're family. Though we're in two different nations at this time, Lord, we're family. And for every believer in all the world, because of Jesus, he's our elder brother and we're brothers and sisters. And we join together in that spirit of unity and we come together before your throne asking for your wisdom, your insight, your grace in Jesus' name. I've titled the message today, The God of All Comfort. The God of All Comfort. And I want to, I want to explore uh, what that means from the Word of God. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, just reading a couple verses and then taking some time to expound on them. Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. 
He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So I want to go back now to those, those early years of my faith, those early years of my conversion <clears throat> uh, and, and finding the word of God and the significance of beginning to devour the word of God. And it doesn't take long when you begin to devour the word of God, whether you start in Genesis and go to Malachi or start in Matthew and go to Revelation. As you begin to read the word, you come across hundreds of different names and titles for who God is. You, you, you're, you're like, why is this the case? And the reality is, is because no one name can fully explore the reality of how great and how awesome he is. And some of those names, whether it's Jehovah Zidkanu, the Lord our righteousness, or Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, or whether it's uh, the great I am, I am that I am. When Moses meets him on the mountain and says, what shall I say to the people of Israel when they ask me what your name is? And the response was, I am that I am. What God was saying, I will be everything that my people will ever need me to be. All of their resources are found in me. And then you come to Jesus in the New Testament and you find him, uh, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. You see him declare, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. These, I am the good shepherd. These All these different names and titles helping us to understand how we can relate to God and how God relates to us. So today we're looking at the Father of all mercies. We're going to say that, the Father of mercies. And we're going to look at the God of all comfort. The God of all comfort. Please note that it doesn't say the God of some comfort. Please note that it doesn't say the God of most comfort. Notice it doesn't say the God of 90% of comfort or 95% of comfort, but instead it takes a stretch and it says all the way out, the God of all comfort is your God and my God. When I need comfort, when I need strength, when I need reassurance, when I need a shoulder to lean on, I can lean on the shoulder of my God. Uh, do I have a resume? Does God have a resume that is then that the Apostle Paul gives to the Corinthians to prove that he's the God of all comfort? Interestingly enough, the Corinthian church at that time was not in trouble. It was not under persecution. They were not at that time dying for their faith. So things were pretty good for them at the moment. And yet God, through the Apostle Paul, says, I am the God of all comfort. But I'd like to take a minute and give you a little bit of a resume of how God is a God of comfort. He was a comfort to Joseph in Egypt. He was a comfort to Joseph in Egypt. He comforted him in putting him in Potiphar's house. And even though he ended up in jail, he was a comfort to him even when he was in jail. How? By showing favor. God did not abandon him. God did not reject him. God had a purpose and a plan in everything that he was doing in the life of Joseph. And in the midst of it all, in the midst of the difficulty, he showed favor to him. Abundant favor. The grace that was on his life to lead, even in Potiphar's house and even in prison, could not be diminished. And anyone who had eyes to see could see that the hand of God was on him and God showed favor to him. God showed comfort to Israel in the midst of their slavery by making them fruitful. 
fruitful. They just constantly <laughs> multiplied. They were in trouble. They were in hardship. But God said, I will bless you with abundance. I'll bless you with natural abundance. And when he brought them out, the Bible says they didn't go out empty handed, but instead he brought them out with gold and he brought them out with silver. He was a comfort to David in the wilderness. When David was running from Saul, when David was rejected, when David had the anointing to be king, but now he's in a situation in a circumstance where he's running for, for his life. His father-in-law, who should be a comfort to him and a strength to him and an encouragement to him, was jealous of him and wanted to kill him. So David fled to the wilderness. Listen to the testimony of David in the wilderness. In Psalm 18, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my mountain, <laughs> Where I seek refuge. I'm sure you could put comfort in there. My shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. David is saying in the midst of my struggle, in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my difficulty, I had a greater revelation of who God was. And that is the one thing about trouble and hardship is that when our hearts are right, we can get a revelation of who God is. We can get a greater, deeper, more uh, intimate, personal revelation of the reality of who God is. This was happening to David. Here we have, like I was saying, more, more titles, more information, more uh, ability for us to take hold of and get strength from. Uh, he comforted Daniel in the lion's den. He comforted him how? By shutting the mouths of the lion. Sent his angel, sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lion in a situation, in a circumstance that seemed absolutely, you're done, it's over, you're finished. But then God stepped in and said, no, here I am. I will be with you and I will help you. He comforted the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. He didn't leave them alone in the fiery furnace. They were not left alone in the fiery furnace. What happened in the fiery furnace? Not only did the fire not touch them, but then there was again a revelation of a son of God who came and was with them in the midst of the fiery furnace. God is a God of comfort. He turns a desert into a pool of water, dry land into springs of water. He causes the hungry to settle there and they establish a city where they can live. They sow fields and plant vineyards. They yield a fruitful harvest. He blesses them and they multiply greatly. He does not let their livestock decrease. Psalm 107, 35 to 38. Psalm 105, 41. He opened a rock and water gushed out. It flowed like a stream in the desert. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground will become a pool of water and thirsty land springs of water. Isaiah 35, 6 and 7. And then in Isaiah 44, 3. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. What is this saying? This is saying to you and this is saying to me. Deserts are known for fruitlessness. Deserts are known for heat. They're known for, for uh, being parched and being thirsty. They're, they're known as a place for death, right? Uh, don't take me to a desert. I love the heat. Been to Africa. Love the African sun. It's wonderful. But don't put me in a desert. Deserts are a place where I don't want to go to a desert. What does God say about deserts? 
These are pictures of the dry areas of our life. These are the pictures of the areas that seem where death is looming and death is on its way. In the midst of those places, in the midst of the deserts, what happens is that God shows up and he brings a spring of water. He shows up, God shows up, and he gives us life-sustaining energy. He shows up and he gives us a resource that enables us to go from that, from that dry place to a watered place. He is our water. He is our water of life. And he is our comfort in the midst of the situation. The promise of God is, I have you covered. Here's the promise of God. I see every hardship that you've ever had and every hardship that you will have. And I'm telling you ahead of time, I'm your comfort. I will be there to comfort you. I will be there to strengthen you. I will be there to lift up your, your, your weary hands. I'm the one that sees and recognizes the, the heart that you have. I'm the God of your spirit. I'm the God of your soul, your mind, will, and your emotions. And I'm the God of your body. And I come to you as a God of comfort. I come to you because there's no comfort like God's comfort. There's no strength like, like God's strength. And that is why we can put our trust in him and recognize that he is abundantly available to us as he declares to us that he is the God of all comfort. Then it says to us that he comforts us in, in all our affliction. There's an old song from the 1970s, I believe. Uh, and there's a line in the song. It says, I never promised you a rose garden. And I think the tenor of the song was, uh, if you think that uh, the relationship that you're going to have with me is going to be just one of uh, uh, roses or uh, sweetness and there be no difficulty and there be no trouble, then I, I got some news for you. It's going to take some work. Interestingly enough, this is what Jesus says. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have conquered the world. Your life should be free from the, light, from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5. But here, look, listen. And I will ask the Father. And he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. John fourteen sixteen and 17. And then in 16, 7, he says, nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. Consider the disciples. The disciples had come to a place of uh, recognizing that this was the Messiah. This was the Christ. They had their hopes pinned on him for a blessed future. They had their hopes pinned on him for Israel to take its, uh, in their mind, its rightful place as the head of all the nations. That uh, Jesus, would, as the son of David, would take the throne of Jerusalem, defeat the Romans, and they'd be set sitting on 12 thrones with him. That wasn't God's plan. <laughs> so when he gave them the news that he was leaving, they were like, uh, we're not okay with this. Uh, why can't you stay? 
What about our plans for you? He says, it's to your benefit that I go away. It's to your benefit. It's for your good that I go and I leave you. Why? Because I'm going to send another one just like me. Literally what it infers in the Greek. One just like me. Not some, someone close to me or similar to me, but exactly like me. One just like me. And he's going to come and he's going to indwell you. Now, for us 2,000 years after the fact and recognizing the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and being filled and baptized in the Holy Ghost, we can look at this and say, yes, Lord, thank you, Lord. But for them at that point in time, it was just a promise. It was just a promise that they weren't going to see for months to come. But the wonderful thing is that we can now say, I have God not just with me, but I have God in me, and he's a comfort. Listen, this is from the Passion Translation, the notes. I just can't get away from how significant it is. Uh, it says, the Greek word used here is parakletos, uh, a technical word that could be translated defense attorney. You might have heard that before. It means one call to stand next to you as a helper, right? So you're in trouble, you need help. There's someone immediately available there to help you. You don't have to go looking. You don't have to pick up your phone. You don't have to text. You don't have to do anything, but just he, he's there. Various translations have rendered this counselor, comforter, advocate, encourager, intercessor, or helper. However, none of these words are adequate and fall short in explaining the full meaning. The translator has chosen the word savior for it depicts the role of the Holy Spirit to protect, defend, and save us, get ready, from ourself and our enemies and keep us whole and healed. He is the one who guides and defends, comforts and consoles. Keep in mind that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ our Savior. The Aramaic word, which would have been the word that Jesus actually spoke when he was speaking, because Jesus didn't speak Greek, he spoke Aramaic. You know this, and then the New Testament was translated into Koine Greek. The Aramaic word is paraklita, which is from, taken from two root words. Prok, to end, finish, or to save, and lita, which means the curse. What a beautiful word picture. The Holy Spirit comes to end the work of the curse of sin in our lives and to save us from its every effect. Parakleta means a redeemer who ends the curse. So <laughs> the Holy Spirit is the redeemer who ends the curse. He does it in our lives. He does it in our thinking. He does it when he heals our body. He does it when he restores relationships. He does it when he brings revival. The Holy Spirit who is with us is the God of all comfort who is living on the inside of us and leading us and guiding us, directing us, strengthening us, helping us, blessing us, restoring us. He's the resource that every one of us could only dream of having and we have him. We have him. We have him with us. There's a famous story in the Old Testament. I am sure that you are familiar with it. 
It's one of those stories that causes us to stop for a minute and consider the gravity of the situation. Moses is on the mountain. Israel has been sinning. God is offended and is ready to withdraw his presence. And he says to Moses, I'm not going to go with you anymore. I will send my angel and my angel will lead you and my angel will guide you and my angel will direct you. But Moses says, hold the fort. Stop the show. We ain't moving if you ain't coming. If you're not the one with us, then we will not take one step forward. We will not go anywhere. This uh, million people that you brought out of Egypt, this is where we're staying. Like we are camping here because we recognize, and, and, and Moses says this, we recognize that we are a distinct people and we are a unique people. And what distinguishes us from everybody else on planet earth is the fact that your presence is with us. Your presence leads us. Your presence guides us. Your presence helps us. Your presence supplies for us. We aren't going anywhere if we don't have you. That attitude brings with every believer when they read it and they hear it. And there should be within us this great, big, huge, massive amen that says, I'm not doing, I'm, I'm going to follow the fire and I'm going to follow the cloud. I'm going to follow God, but I'm not going to follow the world and I'm not going to follow my own way. I'm going to put my trust in him because he is the greatest resource I could ever have, the greatest supply I could ever have. And he has made himself available to us so much more so than even what Moses experienced because the Holy Spirit is now in us, resides in us to be all that we need all the time that we need him. God is our comfort. Uh, and God is our strength, a very present help in trouble. I lost my father when I was nine years old. I had prayed a salvation prayer when I was eight. And right after my father died, within a year, I lost my niece. And as you can imagine, in the mind of a child, you're thinking, this is a dream. This isn't real. This can't actually be happening. And so you literally, I, I can remember walking through life saying, this is all a dream. Everything that's happening, no matter how real it feels, it's a dream. And one day I'm going to wake up. My dad's going to be there. My niece is going to be there. And I'll be, I'll be nine years old again. But this is all a dream. Because you had this pain that was going on on the inside. When I fully committed my life to Christ uh, as a 13-year-old, and I saw the love of the Father in a way that I can't even put into words. I recognized that he was carrying me in those times. And that it was his shoulder that I was leaning on. And it was his shoulder that I was weeping on. And that he was there as a comfort to me. Since then, there's been other losses, obviously, because life is life. But what has been the strength of my life and what has been the joy in my heart and the smile on my face is that God is with me. He's not just with me, he's in me. He loves me and he's given me the first fruits of my inheritance in giving me his divine internal presence via the Holy Spirit. Right now the world is facing something called COVID. 
I've looked at some of the numbers in Baltimore and I know that you're experiencing it in a very real way. And I also know that African-American and people of color are experiencing it in an in a, in a even far greater way in America. Uh, this is something that has stopped life as we know it. Uh, you know, I have to wear a mask to come here. Uh, I, I have to be almost concerned, am I allowed out of my house because we're in, in a lockdown right now. Um, marriages have been put on hold or they have had marriages with few people, funerals put on hold. Um, memorials, memorial services planned for after this is over. It's, it's, it's crazy. Grandparents not being able to see uh, new grandbabies. The world has changed as we know it. But one thing has not changed. One thing has not changed. And that God is a very present help in trouble. And that God is our comfort and God is our strength. And that because we have him, we have the promise of a brighter future. Because we have him, our day might seem dark, but we've met the day star. We've met the morning star, and he promises to be with us and to give us a brighter future. Not just a brighter future, but a brighter presence because of his presence with us, because of his strength with us, because of his promise with us. I want to read uh, a story with you. Uh, it's not a full story, just a testimony. I found this um, a little while ago, Conversations with God, uh, Two Centuries of Prayers uh, by African Americans. Um, you might be familiar with this gentleman's name. I wasn't, um, but it'll, it'll, I'll give you a little bit more background on him in a minute. So this is a, a prayer for spiritual assurance by Charles Price Jones. One day, as I staggered under the weight of this obligation, under the necessity of this ministry, I felt that I must be alone and especially talk with God about it. I went to the home of Sister Rachel Williams, a God-fearing woman, the widow of Deacon Bell, excuse me, Ben Williams, and I asked if I might lock myself in her parlor and remain unmolested till I had reached the Lord with this matter. Oh, the relief and help possible through prayer. It's a statement all by itself. It is good when burdened to pray it out. Some phrase it, pray through. I prayed from about 9 a.m. to about 3 p.m. This was the, Lord, the burden of my prayer. Lord, give me power to convince my people and my generation of the beauty of holiness and the advantages of righteousness. My people love beauty, but the beauty of the flesh is vain and deceiving and soon passes. They wanted to advance in the world, but worldly advantages proved only a snare. For wealth promotes robbery, engenders pride, <laughs> and breeds strife, which to my people was fatal. I saw that in God was our salvation, temporal and eternal. I desired that they should see it. I see how we could hasten the coming of the Lord and universal happiness and welfare. I wanted them to see it, and so I prayed. Between three and four o'clock in the afternoon, I became exhausted. I lay down on the sofa on which I knelt and said, Lord, I'm exalted. I can pray no more. Seven hours of praying. Then the Lord flooded me 
with blessing until laughing and crying and verily kicking like an infant for holy delight. I at last begged the Lord (laughs) to desist. It seemed I could stand no more. My vision was clarified. My eyes were open. I could see apparently the golden walls and pearly gates of the city made without hand. Surely the heavens were open. The spirit spoke within me. The spirit folk, excuse me. The spirit spoke within from the holy of holies of my redeemed spirit and said, you shall write the hymns for your people. This he said six or seven times till it was fixed in my mind. I got up and went to the organ in the corner of the room, wrote a song titled Praise the Lord, ruled off a tablet, set it to music, music and sang it before I left the room. Now, this was 1894. 1894. So just before I came, I said to myself, why don't I check out who this gentleman is, Charles Price Jones. So I went on Wikipedia and I typed in his name. And in 1895, between 1895 and the year 2005, this man wrote a thousand hymns. A thousand hymns. Helped uh, start the Church of God Church, or Church in Christ, excuse me, I believe it was. But this man, from that impact of seven hours of prayer, of waiting on God, of knowing that God was his comfort and that God was his strength and that God would undergird him and meet with him, the indwelling Holy Spirit uh, blessed him with presence and with joy uh, to the point where he had to say, hold on, it's too much. And then spoke to him and said, write music and then gifted him with the ability. What am I saying? I'm saying that God is our source, that God is our comfort, that God is our strength, that when we need the help that, the, that life demands, that we recognize living in this world, all manner of events take place that cause us to be at a place where I need comfort, I need strength. We can run to God and he's already there waiting for us. From his comfort, we comfort. From his comfort, we comfort. I want to ask you the question today, how has God comforted you? Most of you are probably in your homes right now, maybe with your, your families around you as you're listening to this word. So it's a very private, intimate setting. And one of the things that's neat about ministering this way is that we know that we're coming into somebody's home from one home to another home, and we're able to speak on that level. How has God comforted you? How has he been a strength to you? How has he undergirded you? What did he use? What scripture did he use? What song did he use? What verse did he use or does he use? Or is he presently using? Whose hug comforted you? Whose tears were a blessing to you to help you in a a hard time, in a difficult time, in a painful time? You know what? The, the lack of having someone in our life of that, um, in that reality only proves to us how much we need them. There is, a, there is a simple truth that science has discovered. It's called skin hunger, right? Uh, and it literally means that our, our skin hungers for co- physical contact. And this was proven during World War II when babies uh, in England were dying because there was no one to hold them. They couldn't figure out why the babies were dying because they were born healthy and they were being fed and they were being nurtured but not held. 
And so they had to go into a study and figure out why were these babies dying. And they discovered that the only reason why they died was because they were not feeling another human body touching them and holding them and nurturing them. So it, it's the reality of God has made us to be together as family. And he's made us, he takes us, the solitary, the Bible says, and puts us in families because we need it. Now, as I ask you the question, how has God comforted you? Now, what God has done or what God has used to be a comfort to you, now take it and use it to comfort somebody else. The simplest reality is love speaks volumes. Love gives and love keeps on giving. And when we, the people of God, have the presence of the Holy Spirit and we are being and we are receiving comfort and we're receiving love and we're receiving grace, it is not simply for us. It is that we can give it away. And you and I know that when someone does it for us, how much blessing comes into our life. And so the Apostle Paul, in his writing, he's saying, now listen, I want you to go and do the same. Isn't it interesting? Peter and John were at the temple at the hour of prayer, and they saw a man begging for alms. And they actually said to him, look at us. And so they turned their eyes and they looked at him, expecting to receive something uh, natural from them. And they turned and said, silver and gold have I not. And we usually glance over that. Were they being literal? Were they saying, oh, I got no money in my pockets? Very well, most likely, because I don't believe they lied. Silver and gold have I not. They didn't have a big bank account. They didn't have savings for retirement. Yes, the New Testament church was supplying for everybody. We know that in Acts. We see how that, that worked. And But these apostles, they weren't living off rich off the ministry. Here they are. Silver and gold have I not. My goal is not to be rich. My goal is to be a resource of comfort for others. And so, so they said, silver and gold have I not. But, I love this point, but, but, such as I have, give I unto you. <laughs> such as I have, I give to you. What do you have? Gee, God asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? Uh, Elijah asked the widow, what do you have in your home? Whatever you do have, given to God and put in God's hand and then given to another is the opportunity for a miracle, is the opportunity for a breakthrough, is the opportunity for a provision, is the opportunity for God to show up and get glory. So they, they said, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have I give to you in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. It's been a joy to be with you. It's been a joy to share with you from the word. And I just want to be an encouragement to you that God is our comfort. He is our resource. He is our strength. And there is a grace on you and there is a grace on me that is found in his presence to strengthen us, to encourage us, to bless us, and to make us a vessel of his glory and an instrument of his honor.
So I want to pray for you, and I want to pray comfort for you first and foremost, that you would sense and know the comfort of God, even in the midst of these trying times, but that you would also take that comfort that God pours out on you and pour it out on others. Father, we come in the wonderful name of Jesus, and we acknowledge your glory. We acknowledge your love again. We acknowledge your goodness to us. And Lord, that you are the God of comfort. You are the one who is our strength. You are the one who is our provision. You are the one who supplies when all supply has broken down. I think Elijah declares three years of famine. No rain. No rain for three years. How was he going to eat? And yet, Lord, you took a raven and you took the raven into the king's palace and took food from the king's table and brought it to Elijah. Lord, you supplied for him. If I want to joke for a second in one sense and say we're an Elijah company in the midst of COVID. We are sitting by the, the brook of heaven and we know that our God will supply our each and every need. Lord, we look to you. Lord, I pray provision on your people. I pray blessing in the midst of these hard times, these hardships. I pray your encouragement in your presence that would overflow them and overwhelm them. And that, Lord, make them a blessing to everybody they see, everywhere they go. That smile on their face, that encouragement in their, in their step, that faith in their heart. Let it flow through to each and every one of them and through each and every one. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Till we meet again. Thank you, Stephen, so very much for that encouraging word. 